listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall here in the studio, joined by Zoom with Gator Sports, Zach Alboverde. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you doing? I cannot complain. You know, I'm in here doing a little bit of work as well. I know you're out there in High Springs at home, but we're still able to link up here. All this fancy technology, we can uh, still bring you guys this podcast to talk about all the things happening this week with Florida Athletics, certainly the NCAA tournament getting started, spring football wrapping up, and some recruiting news uh, that was that we saw this week and prospects kind of setting up official visits to Gainesville. So we'll discuss all that on today's show. But Graham, obviously, we got to start with hoops, man, because this is that time of the year, March Madness, uh, that everybody's been looking forward to. And I think you've been looking forward to it a little bit longer with the way that everything fell apart last year, Florida finding out at the SEC tournament that there would be no postseason, a long offseason. A lot of these guys have been waiting for this opportunity to compete in the postseason where despite what Coach Mike White wants to say, says that every game is you know just another game. They love saying that in the SEC. This is March. It's called March Madness for a reason. This is what you build towards. And to say that it wouldn't mean a little bit more would just seem a little bit dishonest. Wouldn't you agree? No, absolutely. Especially given everything that you know they've gone through this season and what they missed out on last year. Uh, this means a lot to this program, to these players. But before we talk about the opponent on Friday and everything that Coach White and the players had to say, Graham, I want you to you know, recap the SEC tournament because that was obviously something that the Gators didn't get to go through last year and started out with the win over Vanderbilt, uh, 69-63, and then uh, taken down by the Vols in the quarterfinals. But an incredible performance in the second half from Trey Mann. Uh, just kind of what was your takeaway from the you know that, that week in Nashville and kind of what the Gators were able to show ahead of the big dance? That Vanderbilt game, I wouldn't say, was the most thrilling Florida victory. It really wasn't the most promising one, but I think it was good for Florida to get back in the win column after they lost two games to end the regular season. Saw really, as you mentioned, Trey Mann unable to play in one of those games, the one against Tennessee. And then in the game before against Missouri, really kind of just suffered a defensive lapse late game and then didn't get to bounce back. So getting that bounce back win, even though they did kind of get throttled by Tennessee there in the game 78-66 to get them bounced out of the SEC tournament last Friday, you had to be impressed with the way that they did bounce back because you never want to go into the NCAA tournament with four straight losses. And this team right now, the way that Trey Mann is playing, you, you mentioned the career-high 30-point game, 28 of which came in the second half on Sunday. That was just a crazy impressive from him. He's really peaking at the right time, and, and they're going to have to play through him going into the tournament. He, he kind of is, I hate to say that they go as he does, but that's just the way that they're playing right now, as, as good as he is. If he can go for 20 against Virginia Tech, I, I really like Florida's chances in, in the first round, Zach. Absolutely, and I think everybody expected the Gators to be able to get that win uh, against Vandy, and then you know, depending on what they did against Tennessee, it, it might affect how they were seeded. Uh, and we see that Gators ended up getting a pretty favorable seeding, uh, you know, for the Big Dance. What was your take on you know who they got matched up with, the seed that they got? Where did you think that they were going to fall uh, ahead of Selection Sunday? I think the last half of your question is the most interesting one. You know, there's a 
I, I guess, a stereotype, whatever you want to call it, unfair stigma that the committee does not really watch the conference tournaments outside of actually who wins the dang thing. And I, I think that if you're an LSU fan, you got to say that it feels like that's the case. The Tigers went down to the wire with Alabama on Sunday, had a chance to win the conference tournament before the Crimson Tide stepped up to win that game by one point. And then the Tigers are right below Florida when it comes to getting ranked in the NCAA tournament. That kind of surprised me as well as Florida being a number seven seed. Honestly, I had them slotted in there around the number eight, number nine, especially going one and three down the stretch. I, I thought that that would really hinder them but it really didn't play into. I think that the committee looked at several big factors. It looked at how they'd played without Keontae Johnson. We know that they factor in injury concerns, but this team had an above 500 record, even without their best player, the SEC preseason player of the year. They found a way to make it work, and other guys stepped up. We mentioned Trey Mann, but Colin Castleton as well, the junior forward. You really cannot underscore, underrate what he did for this Florida team this year, especially in January and guiding him through a stretch where Trey Mann, I think was still coming into his own after that disappointing freshman year. So the way that Florida performed had guys step out throughout the year, even when the other guys went down, Scotty Lewis going down for five games, Anthony DeRuji missing that stretch there early in the season where he wasn't in form. And then Tyree Appleby, before he was inserted into the starting lineup, I think that Florida wasn't as good as they could be offensively. I think you could make it the case that Florida has peaked here late and despite some injuries and losing to a very good Missouri team and a good Tennessee team. I mean, Zach, they were picked number one to win the SEC Tennessee, as Mike White noted yesterday, and Missouri was number 10 in the country just two weeks before Florida Florida played them. It really isn't worth harping on those issues, those losses, as much as what Florida did. And I can understand if the committee used that in their reasoning to give them the number seven seed. Yeah, I was surprised by that number seven seed as well. Like you, Graham, I I didn't think that that's where they would land. Uh, But nonetheless, I'm sure that they'll take it as they get ready for this matchup with Virginia Tech. And, you know, hearing from uh, Trey Mann and and Coach White this week, uh, you wrote a great piece, Graham, for the Gainesville Sun about obviously Mann is running the show and that's kind of who the offense is running through, but but at this point for Florida to have a chance to go far in this tournament, they need somebody to step up. And Trey Mann has confidence in his teammates that they'll be able to do that. But Mike White kind of put the pressure and the onus on those guys uh, because really it's been man as of late. They do need to be more balanced. And, and Mike White has developed a reputation, as you noticed, as being a pretty honest and, and open guy. And he's going to come out and say when he thinks you're doing something wrong, he's never going to shy away from that. And I think the fair criticism of this Florida offense right now, which has been better than it, than it was in recent years, is that they are just going primarily through man. And as I mentioned, Colin Castleton right now, you would like guys like Tyree Appleby, Noah Locke, who I think has really had a solid junior season. We, we don't talk about that too much. Just had his first collegiate dunk. That kind of surprised me, but really a guy who was hampered by injuries his first two years, but found a way to still be effective. Now he's fully healthy, has a little bit of uh, his legs back underneath him. If they can get him going, have a 15-point performance from him, have him become a threat on the perimeter for this team, it really will give them another dimension in the NCAA tournament. And then with Colin Castleton, you know, I mentioned in January that he, I think, really carried Florida for, for a few of those games there. You go back to that LSU game. Uh, that Auburn game there late, you know, I, I think that he's a guy who has stepped up in key moments throughout this season when Trey Mann or or Noah Locke or Tyree Appleby were kind of in a lull there. They're going to need that, especially in the NCAA tournament when 
anxiety and nerves start to be a factor, if you can get Colin Castleton to slow it down, become a factor, get you an easy bucket, that's going to ease everyone's nerves. They're going to be more confident. I think that'll give them another dimension, and they got to get one of those guys going. No doubt. And as we uh, you know wrap up things with hoops and turn our attention to football, I do want to mention um, you know a tweet from Scott Strickland this week, who uh, made it a point to congratulate Mike White and his team and program on making it to their fourth straight NCAA tournament. Because as he points out, they're the only SEC team that has been able to do that. And uh, I know Florida fans have a lot higher expectations than just making the big dance. But the fact that they've made it four years in a row and they did it considering everything they went through this season, I think already they've accomplished a lot. Um, at this point moving forward, Graham, what, what should be the expectations for fans of this team uh, as far as whether it's a success or failure as far as what they're able to do in the tourney? Well, fans probably aren't going to like the answer I'm going to give, but I'm going to quote something that Mark Wise loves to say. So maybe that'll give it a little more credence out there. The goal every single year is just to make the tournament. And Florida has already done that. And then you factor in the difficulties that they overcame. And not just Keontae Johnson, although I cannot minimize that at all the more I talk about it. The COVID, the lack of an offseason, the pieces that they integrated in Colin Castleton, a guy who wasn't even in the building a year ago, has become a vital contributor. The lack of freshmen being able to contribute this year. So many unknowns to even make the tournament. I think is a huge accomplishment and every team out there should be already looking at it as if they had a successful season, not saying that is the only way to have a successful season, but you should not be looking at it any other way than you have had a successful season. If you've made the tournament right now, but to be one of only 12 teams nationally that have done it, I think you have to give a whole lot of credit there. And we talk often the last point, the SEC has never been more competitive top to bottom. You look at 11, 12 teams every single year there have a chance of making the tournament, and I think six did this year. They're going to beat up on each other. Look, ha- look what happened in Kentucky. Look what happened to LSU this year. For Florida to be able to emerge among the top and make it to the tournament for the last three years is incredibly impressive in my mind, and, and it does kind of sadden me sometimes when I think that fans still think that it, it, there's a failure in some way involved in that. Now, did you fill out a bracket yet, sir? Do you have a, a pick for a team to, to win it all? You know, I filled out only one bracket because if you filled out more than one, you didn't really fill out a bracket. And I did fill out my bracket a couple days ago. And I got to let you know, this is actually going to get under the skin, skin of some Florida fans a little bit more, Zach. I picked the Baylor Bears Ooh. to pull the upset. And you know why that may rev up the engines of a little Florida basketball fans out there? Why is that, Graham? There are a lot of people who think that Scott Drew should have come to Florida. They should have gone after Scott Drew several years ago when they had a chance to make a coaching change. It should have been Scott Drew pulled away from the Baylor program rather than Mike White hired at Louisiana Tech. I actually get this more often than you you think, but it there's some there's there's some reason behind it. I would say you look at Scott Drew's record at Baylor the last ten years. He's the seventh winningest coach. That's behind Bill Self, Coach K, some of the greats out there. But yet, what have they done? One Elite Eight to show for it. Several 30-win seasons. But the NCAA tournament is so difficult that Scott Drew, a clearly a winning and great coach on the rise, has not able to get over that. So it should also speak to how difficult the NCAA tournament is every single year 
to win there when it's win or go home, especially when you factor in the mid-majors. There's 357 Division I teams out there. So I think that this is the year that Baylor does what Billy Donovan did in 2006 after a few years that didn't really speak to how good his teams were. A few rough outs in the NCAA tournament. I think he gets over it this year and beats Gonzaga in the national championship. I have the Baylor Bears winning 71-70. to Oh, you you just went with my pick. I I, I went with uh, Gonzaga in my bracket. So uh, we have the same championship game. We'll see if uh, which which result pans out. But uh, definitely looking forward to you know the big dance. And and I love March Madness just as a as a college basketball fan. Uh, I'm not the biggest one in the world, uh, but when March comes around and you know the the conference tournaments get started, uh, this is an exciting time of year. So I know. Florida fans are looking forward to it. We'll see how the Gators fare against Virginia Tech. And uh, hopefully this time next week, we'll still be talking about the Gators playing. Uh, We're going to get to this first break. We'll come back on the other side and get into some football discussion as the Gators wrap up spring practice. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall here with Zach Albalverde. Now we're going to get into a little bit of football talk as the Florida Gators are wrapping up spring practice here with their final scrimmage on Saturday. Zach, you looking forward to that as well? I am looking forward to it. It would be nice if we could uh, check it out. I know as Florida fans uh, across the country wish that they could uh, either tune in or make it to Gainesville for a spring game, as we all know that is not happening. Uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, this is an important time, a vital time for this team to get the most that they can out of Saturday scrimmage because they're not going to be able to – be back on the field again with each other for quite a, quite a while. So, um, you know, where they are at in spring and, and kind of what's been accomplished to this point, it seems like it's been a good set of practices for the defense that they maybe gotten the better of the offense and the scrimmages. And they've really made some strides on that side of the ball. And I, I think if there's anything that you wanted to get or gain out of spring, that would be it. Yeah, I, I would absolutely say that. And we, we've talked about how putting them in the right situations where they can find out what they need to improve on heading into summer, putting things on film is clearly the most vital thing in my mind that you didn't have that film in summer last year. That's what one of the side effects of missing out on spring was. And that's, I think also why people are kind of clamoring for Florida to have a spring game, especially with the way that you saw the full reveal of all those spring schedules and and Florida was noticeably absent, but there is going to be some exposure for, for the Florida football program coming up, right? Yeah, absolutely. The Gators are going to have a two-hour all-access show that's going to be featured on SEC Network. Those air times are still to be announced, but um, that's something that is certainly going to be a treat for Florida fans and I think help from a recruiting standpoint that you can feature your program like that on a national network and at least at this point in spring probably be the only program that's uh, being featured in that way. So, that's something that, you know, I think fans maybe will gain or, or learn a little bit more from that than they would probably showing up for a spring game. That doesn't mean that they don't want to be there uh, for it, because I think a lot of, you know, what's exciting and what fans enjoy about the spring game is just coming out. Right. It's just tailgating, being in the swamp again, you know, being able to come with uh, maybe more family members than you typically can for a regular game. So that's, I think, what's going to be missed out more than anything. But from a football standpoint and practice, I mean, these guys haven't missed anything. Uh, they, they really have made the most of this spring and what they missed last year, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. But I think um, we talked about it so much going into spring, but to actually hear from some guys that are going through it for the first time, 
um, they just really emphasize how much these 15 practices have helped them in their development, especially the guys um, that have been here for a couple of years and hadn't got that opportunity. You know, I was talking to um, Gervon Dexter this week, Graham, and, and he was basically saying how coming in as a freshman, it was like every week it was, okay, I need to learn the plays and I need to learn the opponent. The next week I need to learn the, the, the plays for the play the game plan that week. And then I need to learn the next opponent. And it was like, he never got time to sit down with coach Turner and work on the things that he needed to correct and fix and develop on. And that's what he's doing uh, this spring along with so many of those other guys. And I think you're really going to see that pay dividends in the fall. And we spoke last week about, Kyir Elam, a guy, a huge contributor for this defense, going through his first spring as well. But aside from the on-field personnel, there's some coaches going through spring practice with Florida for the first time, including Garrett McGee, which after we did the podcast last week, you had a good chance to catch up with Florida's new offensive coordinator. What'd you learn from him? It got a behind-the-scenes look into Florida's process at finding their new quarterback. Yeah, it was it was really great to, to talk to him and, and, and get to learn about his background. And and really the thing that I took away is kind of how, how many times he had crossed paths with Mullen, um, not just as a coach, but then, you know, at clinics and stuff. And, and some of the times that they had kind of uh, developed a relationship and then continued it through the years. So when you kind of peel all those layers back, it, it really makes a lot of sense. Number one, why he was brought to Florida in the first place as an analyst. And then secondly, why he was promoted to the quarterback's coach. And I think for Florida and I guess any college football program, these analyst roles um, have just become so valuable because not only do you get guys in there that have a ton of experience that are, are often coming from uh, roles where they were a head coach or a coordinator, but a lot of times you're, you're also getting somebody in there that you can, as a head coach, potentially evaluate uh, for a future hiring as an assistant coach. And I, I think we've seen that um, not only happen at Florida, but, but other places. And we heard Mullen mention how one of his previous analysts from a couple of years ago went from that role to the quarterback's coach of the Washington Redskins. So those are clearly, you know, been set up as stepping stones. And, you know, we see what uh, former Florida defensive coordinator Charlie Strong, where he was able to go after working in an analyst role at Alabama. So, um I, that that was one of the things that intrigued me the most, just kind of learning about that role and what all he did last year. But really, but really this year, I mean, um, he was pretty adamant about the fact that he is the quarterback's coach and not the offensive coordinator. And that, you know, Dan is calling the plays. And even though I'm sure Garrick would be happy to do it and feels like he would do a great job, um, he recognizes that Dan is the best in the building. And, and as he said, if Florida wants to win championships and be as great as they can be on offense, the best guy um, needs to be calling the plays. And, and that's why Dan's still going to have that title. But I think adding his background and what he's accomplished from a quarterback coaching standpoint, specifically with guys like Lamar Jackson. Um, that's exciting, I think, to add that to this offense and to this coaching staff. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. We saw him retweet your story and, and made me laugh, I got to say, the way that he said it. Says that Gary McGee used to tell the quarterbacks what he would do to the defenders out there. You love a coach that can relate to his players, undoubtedly, and, and that familiarity among staff members as well is something that Dan Mullen saw in Garrick McGee, um, you know, in, in the collaboration process in allowing him to come in the building and give his input on the quarterbacks and what he sees and, and his input on the offense as well is part of what Dan Mullen's banking on with this move and improving Florida's offense. But aside from the quarterbacks. Well, uh, well, real quick, though, it was funny that you mentioned that, Graham, because like that's when we talked, I was like, you know, um, what is it that you've you know said to Emory, uh, you know, about 
you know, coaching Lamar Jackson and, and, and just kind of, you know, dual threat quarterbacks in general, you know, and <laughs> he said that the first thing that he establishes with all his quarterbacks when he sits down in the room with them is that you weren't better than me. <laughs> because I get that established with them right out of the gate. Like, like, dude, you, you weren't as good as me. Um, but it, obviously he's just having fun, but just to hear that personality and kind of how he interacts with his players, you can tell why, why he's been so well received. And, and honestly, you know, a little similar, similar to Brian Johnson and, and being a former quarterback that liked to brag about his pl- playing days and what he could do if he still threw on some pads. So it's always fun to, when you get around coaches that, that, that have that type of personality. You never want to hear from a coach, I can beat you if, if the guy's sitting there not looking in any athletic spot at all whatsoever. You need to know that the guy has had, I think, or whoever is coaching you, that they've had a little bit of a playing past in you because that is such a critical thing for so many athletes. Uh, whether they think it's true or not right now, I, I think you need any coach to have that type of mentality. Um, well, we know that not everyone out there as former players, but as you look at this Florida roster, who are you looking forward to seeing the current players on Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously I I just mentioned Dexter. I'm really excited to see what he can do in year two, kind of just having, you know, an off season under his belt and a chance to work with Turner and and kind of develop his game. As, As coach Turner said last week, I mean, people forget that Dexter's only been playing football. This is his fourth year. So he still has so much to learn about the game and, and develop, I think, with his skill set. But he's a guy that that from hearing, you know, from the players and coaches and stuff that has really taken strides. Um, I think, obviously, we want to see what that secondary is going to look like and who can step up on, on that back end, um, you know, who kind of emerges as as the cornerbacks opposite uh, Kyrie Elam and, and obviously who, who plays at that star spot. I, I really think Trevez Johnson – is another guy with a spring under his belt. And he showed flashes last year as a freshman, um, had probably one of the best picks of the season against Kentucky. Uh, I want to see what he can do. And, and I've heard that he's kind of solidified that star spot. And then on the offensive side, obviously we want to see the quarterbacks and, and, and everything um, that they have in the backfield with those bevy of backs, but really the offensive line and where they're at, like, how does that group look, especially from a run blocking standpoint? And is that something that Florida's going to be able to lean on in 2021? Because we hear from the running backs, we hear from some of the other offensive players that that's what they intend on doing. Um, and I think, you know, it also kind of speaks to where the defense is at. that They've, they've kind of given the offense some trouble this spring. But that's, again, that was to be expected because of all the moving parts there with you know, Kyle, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and all those guys that they lost from last year. Yeah, I'm really interested in the offensive line as well because we've heard Dan Mullen repeatedly pressed throughout spring practice if this is going to be a run-heavy team, what the offensive identity is going to be with this team. And, and he's been adamant that he's not too sure yet. He's not too sure what the team is going to look like from an offensive perspective until they actually get out there. And, and this is one of those ways to further find out there, but we've seen clips of the offensive line coming out and we've seen clips of Gervin Dexter dominating. And it's really hard every single spring, at least in my mind to get a sense on who's actually winning those battles because you never know in the context of a clip, what the coaching staff is looking for, what the situation is, what the matchup is and what everyone else's assignment is. There's so many unknowns that we don't really understand the full gravity of it. And I think it's also kind of why people really want to see a game because you know, 
what the goal is when you're having a game and, and you can't get it minced there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we heard Coach Mullen say that, you know, at, at this point, he feels uh, most comfortable with the left side of his line and, and Richard Garage and Ethan White. And I, I think to to know that, you know, those two guys have settled in there. They're both playing new spots this spring and that the coaches feel that comfortable with them. That, that is a positive because obviously Garage is going to be protecting um, Emory Jones's blind side. And that's, you know, such a, obviously a key role. And Stone Forsyth did a great job at left tackle last year. So we'll see. But you mentioned, uh, you know, what what they've said. I mean, they the players and the coaches, Mullen specifically, um, has said like it's it's still a work in progress even though you look at their roster and you look at their strengths and and you kind of feel like that's what they're going to go uh, more towards although we did see Naquan Wright basically say they're going to look like the Ravens on offense <laughs> um which which I thought was a, was an interesting comment but I think he was trying to speak to you know that that run element that the quarterback brings and uh, he also said, you know, for folks that are questioning Emory Jones's arm, he's going to show them. And he's about the third or fourth player that said that this spring. Um, so, again, a lot to look forward to, a lot that we, sh- we wish that we could see on Saturday uh, on SEC Network. But they will have that two-hour special. You guys definitely make sure to check that out. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have a chance to talk with Dan Mullen one more time to kind of get a recap on spring and how the final scrimmage panned out. So we're going to catch this uh, final break. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk about some more news and recruiting and also uh, the Gators uh, starting up uh, SEC playing baseball. Welcome back to the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall here with Zach Abelverde. In our final segment, we're going to keep talking Florida football, but away from the field. Got some interesting news from the recruiting aspect here locally and nationally, Zach. Yeah, we saw the report this week, Graham, that it is going to be recommended that the dead period finally come to an end. After 13 consecutive months, it looks like June 1st will transition into a quiet period, which is going to allow college coaches and programs to once again host recruits on campus. And that's something that obviously uh, everybody in the recruiting world has been waiting for. Coaches, recruits, their parents, uh, recruiting reporters. Uh, there's no doubt that, that things have been literally dead for, for more than a year. And, uh, you know, with this coming up now, it's totally going to change what summer looks like and, and kind of this 2021 class is really, you know, kind of going to explode in terms of commitments and, and news happening. Although I will say, you know, despite the dead period and, and, and where things are at, I mean, it hasn't prevented the Gators from landing commitments as of, as of late. I mean, they got three last week, including their quarterback, Nick Evers, who, who went on to win uh, quarterback MVP of the Under Armour camp in Dallas. And then after his commitment, the Gators added two guys from Tampa, uh, Tony Livingston, a four-star offensive tackle, and then C.J. Hawkins, who is a three-star tight end. Um, but, you know, when he committed to the Gators, he was unrated on 24-7 sports, not even – uh, any stars or any rankings next to his name, although he had more than two dozen offers and just in the month of March alone had gotten offers from Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, and Stanford. So um, definitely a guy that I, I think is about to blow up on the recruiting scene, 6'7", 220, playing that tight end spot, and, is, and he can also jump out of the gym as a basketball player. So these were three really solid pickups for Florida. Um, and to have these guys kind of on board, especially Evers, 
who's going to uh, be officially visiting that first week of June, along with a, a ton of other prospects. That's kind of really what, where you want to be uh, if you're Florida to kind of set you up for some more recruiting success this summer. And we spoke last week about how difficult it is for some of these recruiting services to rank guys accurately and to get a good sense on what a guy does well. And it's not just their fault, lack of footage, lack of games last year. And so many prospects out there are going to lead to just some guys falling through the cracks. And I think that's absolutely the case with CJ Hawkins. I mean, how do you miss on a guy who's six foot seven, 220 pounds, dual sport athlete? How is any guy like that unranked? I, I think that absolutely is some evidence that the pandemic and the resulting shutdowns of everything you saw and the extension of the dead period is why guys like this are being missed because it looks like a recruit who would get more offers and some more interest prior to going into their senior season. But that's where we are right now. But Tony Livingston doesn't really, I think, have that problem. A guy who's a top 20 prospect in the state of Florida. I, I think he could even further rise here. Yeah, he can. He, he's really gotten a lot of great feedback from some of the national analysts that like his potential as a prospect and still very raw, too, though. So I think it says a lot about him that, you know, not having those camps and not having the traditional evaluation process that schools have, that he was still able to land the amount of offers uh, that, that he had. And it just, you know, folks get ready because for these next few months, Obviously, uh, especially once March Madness ends and spring football comes to a close, uh, Graham and I, as we do these weekly podcasts, we're going to bring you guys a lot of recruiting coverage because it's going to pick up here, um, certainly in the next couple months. And even though things officially haven't been set yet for the dead period ending and then the quiet period starting on June 1st, Florida is already scheduling recruits for that first week of June. I mean, you you look at the the guys this week that have come out and said that they they plan on officially a visit uh, officially visiting. Uh, some of them include uh, Evan Stewart, who is a top 100 receiver out of Texas and, and has a, a prior relationship with Evers and a bunch of other four star guys. Um, I think it's at six or seven at this point um, that that plan on making it. Jacob Matthews, a five star defensive back out of Louisiana, he's another uh, guy that plans to make it to Gainesville that first week so it, things are going to really pick up here and it's um you know it's funny for the for the Florida coaches because Graham you think about it you know the fact that they started spring early you would have thought that maybe they would have had a chance to potentially have some more downtime in the summer uh a chance to you know maybe have some some free time or a little bit extra vacation that's totally not going to be the case uh you know because of this thing picking up in June as Dan Mullen said, there's just going to be a mad rush of recruits coming to campus. And he said, honestly, his assistant coaches might have less free time than they typically would in the summer um, because all these recruits are, are trying to make up for lost time. So uh, I, I hope those coaches enjoyed some of this time off that they've had recently because it's about to get busy for them. Yeah, we saw Dan Mullen return to some of the spring practices sporting a, uh, a sunburn. So I, I would think that he got most of his vacation time out of the way because he realized that the floodgates were going to open back up here in June. And, and as you mentioned with the edits, they are preparing as if a lot of guys are going to be able to make it to campus for that first weekend here. Now with getting three of their five commitments in the last week, uh, you would expect that it's just going to continue to ramp up. And it's also something we've seen before when a program gets their QB prospect committed in the building, they get start bringing more guys in who want to play with them names that they've known and a guy like Nick Evers who went out there to Dallas and won the Under Armour MVP last week 
he's going to start being able to bring guys in and, and wanting to come with him on his visit. And you're going to see that continue to escalate. So I have no doubt that we're going to see a whole lot more action uh, in the near future. And I have no doubt we're going to see a lot of action at Florida ballpark because SEC play is about to get started for this baseball team. And they are trying to bounce back after a, a really tough loss in Tallahassee, 10 to two to Florida state uh, first win for the Seminoles in Tallahassee in some time. And, you know, for the Gators, obviously um, just an, another you know, adversity that they've had to face here early in the season after losing, you know, that series to, to Miami. And then, you know, even last week they, they had their first uh, Friday night loss of the season against Jacksonville and they were able to, to bounce back and, and get that series win. But, you know, it won't be a Friday night a game this week is the series against Texas A&M will start on Thursday, but an opportunity for Tommy Mason, that group to come out and try and bounce back, not only from that loss to Florida state, but last week's loss to, to Jacksonville. And I'm sure those guys are, are kind of chomping at the bit. Yeah. Kevin O'Sullivan did say that maybe it was the long layoff. The fact that we only faced each other for so long, that kind of led to some of these mechanical errors you were seeing here. Some of these just odd mistakes out of this Florida lineup. I think maybe people also just got a little bit, I don't want to say spoiled, but just expecting more of a start last year where they went 16 and 0 before losing to FSU. And so Florida really wanted to erase that, that bad taste of last year, the loss to the Seminoles that had sat with them for a year. So I, I, I got to think that they're not feeling too good after losing 10 to two up there in Tallahassee. And Kevin O'Sullivan can't be feeling too good about the fact that it's opening. It's leading into sec play and you never want to be going into conference play on a loss. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, this is, I, I think, for these guys to be able to refocus and, and kind of put it behind them, you have to think that an SEC opponent coming to town and league play starting will be enough to get them going. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Obviously, I'll be at the Florida Ballpark this weekend uh, covering that series. Graham will be monitoring all the basketball action, and we'll both be following football as the Gators uh, wrap up spring practice. So definitely a lot to look forward to. Uh, Graham and I will be back with you guys again next week, hopefully in the office uh, once again. Uh, until next time, for Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albert. No one.